Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up a little bit later on, we catch up with Team Carrie just a month to go now to the Dublin Marathon. Exciting musical news for the Cooley Peninsula. Gavin and Nicola Ringer in the house. Art Agnews here. We're focusing on Patrick Kavanagh as we do most years around this time. But first up today, previously known as Cooperation North, since renamed Cooperation Ireland, my first guest today has been its chief executive since 2008. Peter Sheridan is in town for a conference about the decline of rural Ireland and I'm so grateful that he stepped out for a wee while to be with us on late lunch today. Peter, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Um, Can I say this to you uh, first? Can I ask you this first? Will you tell our listeners uh, about your organisation, in essence, what it is, what it does? Okay, so we are an all-island peace-building organisation. This is our 40th year. Um, Three relationships are critically important to us. The British-Irish relationship, the North-South relationship and the internal relationships across the communities in Northern Ireland. We are very fortunate to have both the President of Ireland and the Queen as our joint patrons and a very mixed board of people that include people like John Bruton, the former Taoiseach, Peter Robinson, the former First Minister, um, Dahi O'Kelly, the former Irish Ambassador to London and, and a broad range of people, Malcolm McKibben, who was the former Head of the Civil Service in Northern Ireland. And at, at one level, we were involved, closely involved in the Queen's visit to Dublin, the President's visit back to the UK and in fact the Queen at that stage had asked her to do a, an event about reconciliation at Windsor Castle. We facilitated that um, first historic meeting between the Queen and Martin McGuinness. And so that's at one level. Then at the grassroots level, it's working communities across the island of Ireland. So you're quite right at that conference today, we have the chief executives from Northern Ireland, chief executives from Republic of Ireland together talking about rural Ireland and what the future is in rural Ireland. And and likewise, I have an, a, a programme called Pride of Place Awards, which brings a thousand people of volunteers of every county in Ireland who do good work, would normally not get recognised, but this is about getting people to work together across the island of Ireland, whatever their persuasion, whatever their background in it. So uh, a lot of our activities are at, on the one level, at the grassroots level, trying to build reconciliation, help people to learn to live together for long enough, particularly in these areas, in these communities, we live together like enemies and, and not friends. And we have to start to learn to live together like friends. Um, 
obviously the complications at the minute which has oh, added Peter, disruptions are there, to those are there complications which we're going to talk about in a minute but you obviously you have a, a broad remit and you span from the very echelons of society into the grassroots as you say and I want to tell you that Pride of Place is a fantastic thing I was involved in me myself for, for a number of years yeah it's absolutely Tom brilliant Darling, a former yeah, man from this he, parish began he, it he was the man for, for sure Um Look, let's get to it. The issue you're talking about, of course, is Brexit. And I'm sure people will switch off as soon as I mention the word now. But don't stay with us. This man has a, a real insight into it. Look, are you really, from your position, concerned that if Britain crashes out and there's no deal and nobody knows really what to do, that we could see, is there a possibility of a hard border? So, so let me take you back a bit. So okay. We, the board is very mixed. We took a neutral view on Brexit at the referendum at the time because some people on the board were leave, some people remain. Okay. But within a week of the referendum result, the board met. And and within two hours, they came up with five areas that they could all agree on. One was the need to protect the peace process. And that was the first and premier issue that people said. Second was protect the common travel area so people could move freely between these islands. Third was to avoid economic isolation on either side of the border. Uh, fourth was to av- avoid any physical infrastructure now or into the future on the border. And five was we recognised that tensions would arise between the British and Irish governments and that we would need to work at strengthening and deepening relationships during that difficult time. Those are still as relevant today in it. Um, will there be a hard border? Well, you've heard both the British and Irish governments both saying that that they have no intentions of putting up any physical physical infrastructure in the border, and and I you know fully accept that that's the the intention of it. The problem is you have to look at the history of this place. So, if we have a trade arrangements that there are there are trade differences in tariffs, then eventually there has to be some sort of border. Yeah. At the minute, there are only three goods that there are no regulatory alignment around fuel, alcohol and tobacco. In a no-deal situation, every commodity will have a price difference. So the challenge will come in this is, uh, and we know the history of this place, that during the, the conflict, um, a lot of the smuggling went on. wasn't to line people's own pockets. Um, to, fair to, to be fair to people, but it was to fund a campaign. So it bought weapons, bought explosives, it fuels human trafficking, it fuels um, drug smuggling and organised crime gangs. So the challenge will come in this is if you, if you have a no-deal situation and you expose uh, smuggling, almost turbocharged smuggling in that environment, then there will be responsibility on the police and on the guards on either side of the border to do something about it. Because if you take last year alone on fuel, the British government lost probably about 40 million excess duty on smuggled fuel, and the Irish government probably lost something similar on smuggled home heating oil. You know, when I was um, head of crime in Northern Ireland, the, that was about 250 million. Of, of lost revenue. Mm. And this isn't Robin Hood type smuggling of tea and butter and getting, you know, we all could tell the stories of when I crossed the border and Bundoran sitting on the on the top of the butter under the seat sure. and so on. We all did that. That's <laughs> not that type of smuggling. This is what fuels organised crime. And, and the police on the other side of the border can't ignore that. And we know that that's where the confrontation will happen. It's 
will start at low level resistance, civil disobedience, confrontation then happens with the police around those things and, and the history of this island is that it escalates from there and so uh, my plea and I've, I've met about 14 EU foreign ministers, I, I, I took Michael Gove around the border, I took the cabinet secretary from the UK around the border last week and it, and, and it was to remind people what this was like the, the, the border is still there but it's invisible and that's, that's the, the great thing, isn't it? So we all know. I remember being in those queues, trying to get in and get out up at the Donegal side. Oh yeah, my we, God, the we, days we, that were in it. And nobody wants to go no, back to it. And that includes does? people in the British government don't want to go back to it either. But, but tell me this: there's what 680 MPs, roughly, in in yeah. the in, in the House of Commons. And like, look, I was saying, sport. <laughs> I love sport, but I've never seen anything like the sport that's going on there at the moment. And. Uh, it, it, it's unprecedented. Do the majority of those, you mentioned Gove and you've brought others around the border, but realistically, Peter, do they get it? You know, they talk about trade and tariffs, but you and I know it's about something else, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I'm convinced that the people at the top understand the stuff at, at the cabinet office level, but do 640 or 50 MPs get it? No, because they're interested in Middlesbrough and Luton and so on. And and what I see, even in, in, you know, in Brussels and in Westminster, it is about those technical issues of how do we make trade arrangements and so on. That's not what it's about here, and I keep making that point. Of, this is about identity. So the Good Friday Agreement said to people who live in Northern Ireland, you can be British or Irish or both. And you have the right to choose your birthright and both governments uphold that right of people to uh, choose their birthright. Therefore, that means there are people who in Northern Ireland see themselves as Irish, play Gaelic football, follow sport, watch RTE. You know, they are, their mm. cultural or natural cultural identities with the rest of the island of Ireland. But likewise, there are people who see themselves as British, who watch what's happening at Buckingham Palace. They Remembrance Sunday is important to them. Their natural cultural identity is with the rest of the United Kingdom. Wherever you try to put a border in the middle of either of those two, the potential is you could create a semi-detached status for a group of people. So those people who are Irish, who have see themselves, have always seen themselves as Irish, the, the, the fact that that border is invisible means that they have the freedom to express their, their Irishness. But likewise, the fact that people who see themselves as British and can, they're in the same arrangements as the rest of the, the, the United Kingdom feel that they're, they're British. So I can understand from both perspectives on this why this has, has been so challenging for both Brussels and the British government because this is the only thing that has held up Brexit. Identity is the word and you, you mentioned it there. But here's the thing. Uh, if you look at the two sides, you, you have the leaning towards the UK with unionism and the looking down south from Republicans. A Brexit, with or without a deal, who wins? With or without a deal, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody will win ultimately. In this. I mean, there are all of the those people who are in favour of of Brexit tell us that the United Kingdom will be better off. Um, a part of that feels to me a bit like jam tomorrow. Um, I know what I have at the minute, and I know what the circumstances are, and maybe they're right. Maybe ultimately, in the end of this, the United Kingdom will be better off, and and um, people's livelihoods will be better off. I suspect it'll be much more challenging in Northern Ireland for that. Yes, case. it's difficult to see why, if if Britain's outside of Europe, it's difficult to see why people would invest in Northern Ireland if they want to invest in the UK because they'll go to the mainland. Yes, UK. and likewise, if people are they'll invest in Europe down south. But you know what I'm thinking? You see, I, I, if if you put yourself in unionist shoes and, and and Brexit happens, in a way, 
you know, it it cements uh, the six counties' place in the United Kingdom, right? Uh, and if you if you look at Republicans, will they not feel well? You know, we're disenfranchised here. You know, but I'm not sure that's correct. Jerry, in in that, if you look in in the UK over the next ten years. There's going to be a polarisation in the UK. About 50% of the population are in favour of leaving and 50% thereabouts are in favour of remaining. So that polarisation is going to remain in the, in the UK for the next 10 years. It's not going away anytime soon. Yes. That then impacts on Scotland and the, and the independence. And you can almost feel that sort of starting to gather um, an impetus as yes. well. Then that impacts in here and, and the discussions have already began. And that genie's out of the bottle about a border poll. And, yes. you know, I mean, I don't suspect it's going to happen anytime soon. But nevertheless, that debate is out there. So it opens up that door. That is the other aspect from, let's say, a Republican point of view, that that is there then as an opportunity perhaps to unite this country. So, oh my God, it's and a quagmire. Ten, the thing is about 10 percent of the population in Northern Ireland will make the decision about that ultimately because there'll be a broad sway of people who say whatever happens we're voting for United Ireland and the broad sway of the people say we're voting for uh, to remain in the United yes. Kingdom there are about 10% of the population of probably uh, on nationalists and, and, and unions who will decide on the basis of are their families going to be better off? Are their children going to be better off in one or other? You know, economically how they'll be better off? And people will make that decision and it's about the the, the, the Voting lines are about 50-50. So that 10% are going to be critical as to how Brexit rolls out for them ultimately and how they feel. Are they uh, part of the United Kingdom? Does it leave them better off and their families and their future better off? Or is it something different? And and they are a thinking population who will make a decision one way or another. What about your perspective as CEO of Cooperation Ireland? What's the best outcome here for everybody in your book? Well, I keep saying I can only live in one house and, and one piece of ground. And um, as long as my freedoms are protected, my rights are protected, I, I'm content to live in that. As long as I can get on my neighbour. Our challenge has always been, particularly in Northern Ireland, that we, we're very good at championing our own side's rights. So uh, it's my right to parade, my right to this, my right Good rights are when you protect your neighbour's rights. We have never got the politicians in Northern Ireland... So from a uh, DUP or unions perspective, the question that I, I consistently asked is, what is it you will do that protects the Catholic nationalist traditions, its culture and its identity? What are you going to legislate for? Tell us what you're going to do for, for the other community. And likewise for nationalist politicians and Republican politicians, what is it you're going to do to protect the Protestant traditions and its culture and its identity? And once we can move people off their their champion their own rights than to start to think about their neighbour's right and protect it, then we begin to be able to live together. And, and whatever happens ultimately after that, well, so be it. You know, people will make those decisions. Part of me always, always would have always argued that we probably would have been closer to an all-island um, island today if it hadn't been for the conflict, simply by good neighbourliness. But, you know, it's like most things in life, when somebody tells you you're going to do one thing and you object and we take positions. That is certainly history at this stage. But as someone who 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 lives there and has been through so much from the time you joined uh, the RUC way back in the early 70s, with the ending of violence and the setting up of Stormont, which is sadly still suspended, and the, the cooperation that happened through the Good Friday Agreement, has society in Northern Ireland changed? Is there change afoot or are people more entrenched than ever? 
No, I, I think we've made enormous changes. It's always very difficult when you're living through this, that you know that that rapid change that people sometimes expect doesn't happen. But you know the fact that you can travel across Northern Ireland um, and you're not stopped at checkpoints, um, that large scale violence has stopped. I mean, there are probably in the region of two and a half thousand people alive today because of the Good Friday Agreement and tens of thousands of people who haven't been injured. So I think we, of course, a lot of us would like this to move faster and we would like to be in a different place. But the challenge is always going back to that issue of identity and people protecting their Irishness or Britishness and this is always going to be part of the, the challenge in this. But you know, I, I, I think that when you look back on it, we have made enormous progress. Have we enormous progress she has to make? Well, absolutely we have on it. But by and large, people get on and live in Northern Ireland like most other communities. And despite the fact we have no government in place, um, and, and the hope is that at some stage in the future that gets back in again and those people get back into representing communities in it. And we can take the next step, which is about thinking about the other and putting themselves in the other's shoes. It's such a, a brilliant way to deal and, and tackle this issue. I mentioned at the start you stepped out from a conference that's happening in Dundalk today, the decline of rural Ireland. This is an issue, isn't it, whether you're north, south, east or west? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would term it as the decline of rural Ireland. Um, it's about the transition of rural Ireland. And it's always been in transition. If, if any of us think could think back to 100 years ago what Ireland was like, well, it's transitioned from that to where when I grew up in, in the 60s in, in rural Ireland to what it is today. And so there's sometimes there's a, a nostalgic sentiment gets around to what the rural Ireland was in the past and almost a myth about it. Um, sort of a longing for something which actually wasn't there. You know, when you think about it, some people think back to the fair days and how good they were, but and the shop that was in the middle of the street that everybody knew. There's almost that longing for the horse and cart and the bicycles again. But do we really want that back again? You know, do we really want a world without shopping online? Do we want a world that where well the churches were full back in those days? You know, that's different nowadays. Uh, and maybe at that time we weren't allowed to think for ourselves, and we were told how to think in rural Ireland. So true. So, so this conference is about uh, people from all walks of life, professional from uh, international perspective of thinking of what are the interventions that are required to sustain and build vibrant rural communities in the future. So we're never going to be the same rural society as it was in the past, even though sometimes that nostalgia hankers it back to 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 that. uh, You know, I, I often think of you look at some of the black and white photographs of the medieval type housing, which were unfit for people to live in. I'm sure we don't want to go back to there. And it, um, and to, to recognise the realities of 21st century living and what impact we have on the natural environment, the built environment. So a, a lot of the, the conference is about the dialogue to talk about those things and talk out loud about them from a whole range of perspectives. Somebody, I, I raised a question at the conference before I left. So on the one hand, we're saying that we do want that nostalgia and to think back to you know the mythologi- mythological Ireland, rural Ireland. But on the other hand, with billions of tourism comes in here where you know lots of American visitors want to see the authentic rural Ireland. So there's that balance has to be found in all of that. Um, and and United Nations will tell you that two thirds of the world's population will live in urban centres in the, in the next fifty years. And you can see it here. You know people gravitate because that's more employment. 
So how do we make sure that rural communities don't get left behind in the middle of all of that? And, and that's always been a case. It's not something that's just happened in the last few years that somehow it's changed. So it's a shared challenge for central, regional and local government. Um, here, I've been particularly impressed in, in Meath and Louth councils at the, the foresight of both the county and city managers in there to, who pick up this ball and, and, and ran with it um, with us. The programme today is funded by both the Department of Communities in Northern Ireland and the Department of Housing in the Republic of Ireland. So they recognise that there's a, a need. So on the one hand, while nothing's happening in Stormont, um, at the, that regional level or, or at the local level, um, the sharing of information across the sound between councils is critically important. The lived experiences of people sharing that and then thinking about the future and what it might look for us. It's good to hear that and, and important that it's happening at, at ground level as well, embracing the technology and the developments of the future to make rural living uh, much better for people as we move forward. You're an interesting, a very interesting man yourself because I did mention you joined the RUC as a young man in the 1970s and you are a Roman Catholic and I'm sure there weren't too many joining at that stage. But I, I want to read a quote to you um, and, you know, this made us smile today. Uh, as you were going to join, right, um, a brave choice, people would say, but your granny said to you, well, Peter, if you get shot, you'll never drown. Do you remember that? No, I do. I, I do. I mean, when I joined, people say it was brave, but I was sixteen, and that at the time that I applied, and and I was following George Best and um, the girls from the collegiate school up the road. I wasn't particularly thinking about the security situation situation in Northern Ireland. So, in some ways, the people who were brave were my parents and courageous, who who didn't interview my my career teacher was a Catholic priest, an Irish historian from Castle Blaney here in, Col- in County Monaghan, Father uh, Father Livingstone. It was him introduced me to it. So I. I've often said that he was either a visionary or he was looking rid of me, one or other. And, uh, <laughs> a, visionary, <laughs> a visionary is born out today, Peter. <laughs> but, but yes, uh, my grandmother lived with us at the time and she, uh, that sort of typical Irish, uh, either faith or fatalism, well, if he's born to be shot, he'll never be drowned. Mm, what a saying that is. But look, on you went and you made your mark and you rose up to be what? Assistant Chief, Chief Constable yeah. there. You say, and I've I, I, I've read about this. You say that there were very decent people in the RUC, and subsequently, of course, the PSNI. Hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I work with some of the most decent, honourable people that you could hope to work with. Of all shades. Of all shades. I mean, of course, in any organisation, in this organisation here, in the BBC in Northern Ireland, the Catholic Church, there are rogues and scoundrels. Um, There were rogues and scoundrels. But the vast majority of people, when I went out to work in the morning, wanted the same as I did. They wanted to help people. They wanted to do a good day's work. and They They came from a different persuasion. 95% of them came from a different persuasion. There was nothing wrong with that. What we needed to do was to make room for a Catholic, nationalist, Republican identity in the police service because police services will only be successful in a democracy if they're reflective of the community that they serve. So they have to come from it. That's what was missing. It wasn't that the police didn't want people in. It wasn't the circumstances wouldn't allowed people to join in it. Um, but but through that, why would you be surprised that you know the vast majority of Protestants who I work with were decent people? They may have um, had a different church that they went to, yeah. but they were the same as you and I. What was it difficult though, as a practicing Catholic living in a, in a community? Pe- people knew who you were and where you worked, and yeah, no, I, I mean it wasn't. 
uh, easy. At times I moved out of my house twice when people thought I should visit the next world sooner than I wanted to. Um, so it did impact on your family. Um, but, you, you know, when you, when you join, you know, those are the decisions you take. And, and I always took comfort from it, the fact that I never believed that people deliberately targeted me as Peter Sheridan. They were targeting what I, in their view, was representing. And, you know, I um, became friendly with Martin McGuinness in later years in it. And I had been the police commander for 25 years in Derry. And I used to say I spent longer in his house in the last 30 years than he did. <laughs> but so, but him and I, to the extent that the, the, the night of his wake, I was invited down to the house and, and, and they kept a seat for me in the chapel on the day of the funeral. Now, people can make all sorts of, us, you know, some, they, they, they'll take you back to the past. What about, what about, what about? But I think you know, in some of our discussions, both of us agreed that that. And I had said to, to Martin McGinnis at one stage, "Look, I have an, I fully accepted you have an understanding of the last thirty five years. I'm not going to say it's right or that I agree with it, but I'll accept it's yours on one condition that you accept that I have an understanding of the last thirty five years. You don't have to agree with it or say it's right, but accept it's mine, and then we can look to the future." And to be honest, with you, I think that's what he was able to do, and it's probably missed largely today because of that. I, I McGuinness, a Paisley, a Hearn, yeah. these people, a Blair, it, would, would would they, if, if their ilk was there today, w- would it be different? Yeah, well, I, I think we, what you had at that time and what sometimes is critical when you come to, you know, the, the very makings of a deal is the big personalities, the people who can carry it and carry their organisations and, and to have the big personalities. And I think to some extent we are missing big personalities across the board. Peter, it's been a real pleasure to meet you today uh, on Late Lunch. Thank you for dropping in and taking time out for the conference and uh, may cooperation on this island, the island of Ireland, continue for all its people. Thank, Thank you, you very for much, joining sir. me. Thank you. Una Burns, Porrick Hall and Ursula Martin are in the hat. What am I talking about? Tomorrow, Friday, we're going to do a draw. We need five names, so we're looking for a fourth finalist today. It's the Tralee Oktoberfest, happening October Bank Holiday Weekend. I have a great prize. Three nights bed and breakfast at the world-renowned Brandon Hotel three four-course dinners and all the cabaret and dancing you can do with the acclaimed Joe Dolan show, the Drifters, Cleaner Hagen and lots more besides. If you'd like to go along, they have a great offer on for uh, followers of the music and if you've never been, you'll love it, I promise you. Showtours.ie, you'll get all the details there. You can call them on 01253 for that weekend in October. We want to give a prize to people down there for the October weekend, late lunch this week. Here is the musical clue today. Have a listen. When God created a woman for me, he must have been in a beautiful mood to show the world what a woman could be. Yes, that is Mr. Joe Dolan. The question today is this. There's a statue of him in the town that he hails from. What town are we talking about in the Midlands? Joe Dolan, you know what I'm looking for. Answers, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text with your name or details, and we'll tell you who's going into the hat tomorrow for that lovely prize. Now it comes round, doesn't it, all too fast? Yes, year on year it happened. It's the Patrick Kavanagh Weekend and Poetry Award, and it's happening at the end of September, as usual, the 27th to the 29th. And the man who knows all about Kavanagh, I welcome him back to Late Lunch, Art Agnew. You're welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Let's talk a little bit about Kavanagh uh, first. Um, 
a big family, a, a lot of children in that household. He was one of how many? He's one of nine. Nine children? Yes. And he came in, what was it, about third or fourth he in the fourth. pecking order? Fourth in the pecking order. Well, three sisters older than him. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, we're talking about um, <laughs> gender imbalance, Ireland, <laughs> and that when the boy was born, they nearly had a Te Deum sung in, in Rome. Or so the so the family so the legend and goes. Would have thought, you know. <laughs> and were the boy the where are the boys then after? There was, was one boy. Was one boy uh, uh, died in infancy. Yeah, and the other boy then was Peter. Okay, so there were two boys in the yes. family, seven girls. Yeah, and one boy passed away. Yes, a big clan. What did the dad do? Farming, he was, and something yeah, else. The, the 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 father was um, a shoemaker. Oh, that was his profession. Yes, he was. Did Kevin follow him into that? Um, the, the, his father wanted him to follow it, follow him into it, even though he knew that he had more brains than than that, and that he hadn't really got brains for a, a for a trade. But it was the best he could do with him at the particular time, because he was at school, but he, he was a wayward kind of a student. So he was on the Mitch, was he, from time to time? Not necessarily on the Mitch, but he would, he would have preferred at times not to be at school. Though Miss Cassidy, his teacher, said when he was leaving, she took him by the hand and said, "Patrick, if you could only get to the high school in Carrick, you would pass them all out." Now, there was a woman who saw the potential in this guy, but he left after sixth class, what, 13 no, years of he age? No, he, he never even made sixth class. He left after, finished fifth class. And gone. He, he wasn't promoted because one of those years, he, he, must, he didn't do enough of the days. I see. You see, and that's what happened. So what did you do then? Into farm labour, and was it an he was, yes. apprentice to the dad? Or? Yes, he yeah, did okay. both of those things. And um, he used to love, in the farm labour, and he used to love um, helping to drive cattle to the fair in Carrick across six-mile distance. And uh, <laughs> his mother would always say, when he was doing that job, he should say, remember, Garson, if there's running to be done, make sure someone else does it. <laughs> he played a bit of ball as well. There's a few famous stories. He was a goalkeeper. Or was he? Yes, he played in goals for them. He was also the secretary of the club. Right. But he, um, the stories about him playing in goals and that are, been one or two exaggerated. I mean, the story about him being in goals in the famous football match and uh, that he, there was an injury to somebody and uh, he left the goals to go and get ice cream. Now, first of all, there was no ice cream that time. <laughs> it would have been, there would have been. <laughs> the usual thing apples, oranges and chocolate and he went apparently to the sideline to get an apple and a goal was scored but it can't be verified Ah, so it's, it's grown legs over the oh, years it has grown legs. like one of those yes. stories that you, that you hear but look, he, 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 he was looking further afield for uh, inspiration and, and how he could develop this undoubted talent that has been proven subsequently a fellow called George William Russell played a big part in his life didn't yes, he? Yes, George William Russell was from Lurgan George William Russell spent most of his life in Dublin and he went on to the city Pseudonym, it said the Latin pseudonym A.E. The writer. Yes, and uh, he encouraged young aspiring writers. 
And Kavanaugh was one of and those. Kavanaugh was one of them. He inspired. I, I saw as well, just a local link, his first published work appeared in 1928 in the Dundalk Democrat. Yes. So... Uh, they, they, a poem written about a wooden gate. So that was his uh, one of his big breaks, and, and subsequently it appeared in the Irish Independent, I know. Um, his first collection, when he, when he started putting collections of works together, it's fair to say, Art... They weren't received with abandon. There was a doubt, wasn't there? A big doubt about it. Well, you see, poetry was neither popular nor profitable in that part of the country because there was a man that, uh, whose daughter we knew well over where I come from because Annie McEnany, and she was a daughter of John McEnany, the Bard of Callenberg. Now, the Bard of Callenberg had a vitriolic tongue and a vituperative pen. I love the words. <laughs> you have me and not go on. And um, people dreaded him. Okay. Because he he would he would make up a, a rhyme. I mean, he made up a rhyme about about um, a, a shopping in a skein. Which look at here, it's, it's we know the McGee's well now, and so it's 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 he apparently went into the shop, and um, uh, McGee wasn't there. So he he told the boy to go along and put bags on a fodder and things like that on the cart. But he went in and he stayed too long because he had decided to have a bottle of stout or something. When McGee came back, he saw, he told the boy to remove the bags because, you see, he knew that the Bart wasn't going to pay for it at that particular time. But apparently he made up the rhyme. He said it was, he says, the anvil was ringing, the blackbird was singing. In sweet in the skein I was well pleased to be, but in less than an hour, male, pollard and flower was whipped off me cart by Consati McGee. Now, the Cavanists did not want to go along and have their son going to become somebody like that. Okay, right. So that wasn't the route they wanted. So ultimately then, with time, he made his way to Dublin and and, and settled in Dublin, 1939 about, yes? Yes, yes. Yes. And and, and that's where he was to really then establish himself. Yeah. Did it take more time? But he established himself somewhat earlier than that because way back in in the early 30s, he went to um, see A.E., in, in, in Rathgar. Yes. And he got books back from a... Did he walk he, there? He walked there. And he walked back, and it was before Christmas. And he he walked in, in, in clothes that, he, that his, his mother was not all that happy about. And he wore hobnail boots. But he he came back, and he, he see, he, he, he kept on writing, and he was sending poetry to Macmillan's in London. And... One day he came home and there was a letter for him and he found that Macmillans were happy to go along and publish his poetry. And in 1936, Macmillans of London. You're talking about, in football terms, the Real Madrid of the time. Okay. Were prepared to go along and publish his poetry. Uh, and and uh, it was about 24 poems. Mm. And... That's what they published. And that was the endorsement that he needed. Yes. Though the the English uh, critics were, were, were supportive of it and 
some of the Dublin critics weren't all that supportive of him. It was one writer in the Dundalk Democrat was very supportive. Mm. Okay, so that's how things moved along from skipping on a wee bit. A strange bedfellow to give him support was John Charles McQuaid, the infamous Archbishop of Dublin. Yeah, well, Kavanagh was asked to go out to to uh, Blackrock College where um, John Charles McQuaid was teaching at the time. And he went out there and that's where the, he, he first uh, recited or his poem A Christmas Childhood out there. And um, naturally enough, he, 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 he got... Uh, remunerated for it. Yes. And uh, that's, I, I, what we would think is where the, the friendship and the connection with uh, John Charles McQuaid was uh, more or less cemented. Because there's no doubt about it that afterwards John Charles McQuaid, uh, uh, um, I know that we know that on one occasion uh, 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 outside at Bagus Street where Kavanaugh was living that apparently John Charles McQuaid uh, pulled up and um, Apparently, he, he sent his driver in with something or other, and he he, he said that Kavanaugh couldn't see anybody because he says there's a woman here and there. And apparently, John Charles so the driver says, "Drive on." He says she's probably from the Legion of Mary. <laughs> Talk about turning a blind eye. Art Agnew is regaling us about the uh, poet Patrick Kavanagh. The Poetry Award will be awarded this year, the annual Kavanagh Award, and the big weekend is coming up, the 27th to the 29th of September, this coming weekend, and we're going to talk more about it after the break. Patrick Kavanagh weekend starts tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Inniskeen. And I'll just give out the number if you want to find out about the uh, various events that are on over the weekend. The telephone number is 087-171-0592. That's 087-171-0592. And just to mention, Art, you have a lot of work going on at the centre at the moment. You won't be operating from there, will you? Yeah, that's why it's a mobile number that's there. Yeah. Because they the Patrick Kavanagh Centre is under refurbishment at the moment and we're not there. We're actually over in what's called the Round Tower Church and uh, we're a bit like the Windmill Theatre in London during the Second World War. We never closed even though it, it has been a challenge now for the people who are working there. But the, this year, our, our, our centre for the weekend is going to be St. Egg's National School. And they have been absolutely wonderful and supportive and accommodating. And it's not that easy if you have a big school of over 200 that at the moment we're using their hall and using different rooms of theirs, getting them ready for the weekend. And we're really so thankful. Well to done them. to them. Now... Patrick Cavanagh's remains and his wife's remains rest at the centre there. But I want to mention somebody who passed away quite recently, his sister-in-law, Anne Keeley Cavanagh. She was a very significant woman. Yes, Anne Keeley Cavanagh was married to Peter Cavanagh. And Peter Cavanagh was the younger brother of Patrick's. And he was um, his muse, his supporter, and all of those things. And when he went to America, he himself, Peter Cavanagh, was a very talented um, man in literature and he was a, a professor in, in a university in New York. When Patrick died, 
he retired and he devoted himself to the publication of Patrick's work. And the person who supported him there was Anne Keeley Kavanagh, his wife, who was uh, one of the first and earliest uh, female producers with NBC and other television stations around that area. And she lived and she died there until she was 97 years of age. And she gave up all that to uh, support... Yes, and oh. they, yeah. Look at they yeah. have been magnificently supportive. Yes, and hey, her obituary was in the Irish Times on Saturday last. John Banville is one of the names. The opening address is coming from John tomorrow evening. The Poetry Awards happen tomorrow night there. I see names like Oliver Callan, he's president of the Patrick Cavanagh Society. Sean Corcoran, renowned Drogheda man, uh, an expert in Irish folk music. I'm just dropping some names here as I look at the programme. It's extensive and it goes on over the weekend. And Marie Louise O'Donnell, well-known member of Shannon Aaron, you have her as oh, well. Yes, That'll be lively. Yes, indeed. Well, her, see, her, her book is out. Yeah, and it's 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 like really is a coffee t- table book. Wonderful, it'd be a great Christmas present for anybody. The um, as I say about this, the we have look, we have Bridge Murphy. Bridge mm. Murphy is the Joan Baez of South Armagh. She really is absolutely magnificent singer and all of that. We have. We have uh, John Call is coming as well. Now John Call is the person who has done the sculptures of Luke Kelly. Oh yes, and he's coming down. He's del- he's excited about coming down, and he's coming on the Sunday, and it's going to be very appropriate on the Sunday because that's the day we'll have most of the young people there, all of the young aspiring poets and 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 writers, and uh, he's d- delighted to be coming there. Isn't Kavanagh's legacy art without um, blowing smoke a-, a giver and a giver year on year? to the area and the people from whence he came. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, I I can't repeat it here, but uh, I was talking to a man yesterday who dug up another filthy story about Kavanagh. And for every two good stories you hear, you're always going to hear one that's going to go along and vilify him. That's the way life is. But But look, we have... So, so much, many, yeah, and so many so great guests and on. so much on. So again, I'll give out the number, and we have it here off 1850 The number, if you want to find out more about the Kavanaugh weekend, just go. Get in the car and away you go. But you should ring this number first. 087-171-0592. That's 087-171-0592 for more information about all that's going on over the weekend. And I want to wish all the people who have been considered for that poetry award because it's a significant award every year. It's a great endorsement if you win it. I want to wish them all well. That'll be announced as well over the weekend. Sure. And the one thing is that this the the award this year, the, the weekend this year is going to concentrate on a lot on music and the notion of Raglan Road and the idea of romantic poetry and also a unrequited love. Well, isn't it just miraculous? As you mentioned Raglan Road and have uh, talked about the wonderful Luke Kelly a few moments ago, we have it. Yes, we're going to hear it now to finish out. Art, I wish you well. Congratulations to you all again at Inneskeen. Patrick Kavanagh Weekend and Poetry Awards tomorrow until Sunday. Check it out. We leave it today. Uh, our lovely conversation with the man himself, Luke Kelly and Raglan Road. Until the next time, Art Agnew. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you. On Raglan Road 
of an autumn day I saw her first and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rule I saw the danger and I passed along the enchanted way and I said let grief be a fallen leaf at the dawning of the day on Grafton Street in November we trip lightly along the ledge of a deep ravine where can be the worth of passion's pledge The queen of hearts still making tarts And I'm not making hay Oh, I loved too much And by such, by such is happiness thrown away I gave her gifts of the mind I gave her the secret sign that's known to the artists who have known the true gods of sound and the stone and word and tint without stint I gave her poems to say with her own name there and her own dark hair like Clouds over fields of May On a quiet street Where old ghosts meet I see her walking now Away from me so My reason must allow That I had loved not as I should A creature made of clay When the angel moves The clay he'd lose his wings at the dawn of day.
My next guest we've met before on Late Lunch and what a nice time we've always had when they've managed to squeeze us in. They're very busy people, you understand that. Work-wise, they have two young children and they're now about to add another string to their bow, no pun intended. International opera stars Nicola and Gavin Ring, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thanks very much, Siri. It's great to see you both. They say give a, bu- a busy woman a man a job and they get it done. I think that sums you two up, to be honest. Let Come on, tell them what's happening up in the Cooley Peninsula. Nicola. Oh, yeah. So we are going to be starting a singing academy in the in the Cooley Peninsula. So we're very, very excited to, um, to get that started. What a bonus this is, Gavin Ring, yeah, for the area. Oh, it's fantastic, uh, Jerry. We're really excited about this now. Um, so we're going to be starting the Cooley Singing Academy and it's going to be um, operating out of the Foy Centre in Carlingford. And um, uh, obviously this is hugely exciting for my, both myself and Nicola. Myself and Nicola are um, uh, experienced opera singers uh, with uh, international expertise. Obviously Nicola is going to be heading it up. I'm um, merely her sidekick on this <laughs> occasion because... He's saying um, all the right <laughs> things. He's singing the right notes, yeah. Nicola. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, uh, we ran, I suppose, a kind of a similar um, enterprise uh, when we were living in Kerry. And um, much like uh, much like the area where we were, we were in South Kerry. South Kerry, very similar to Cooley, um, uh, a rural area um, where, let's say, the proximity to uh, high level um, uh, music education would not necessarily be at your uh, front door. Uh, but that's what we're about to uh, create in Cooley. We're about to provide that um, exceptionally high level of music education and singing in particular uh, on uh, the doorsteps for people in Cooley. It'll be no more than 10 or 20 minutes away. Now, here's a dumbass question. Um, classical only? No, it no, won't be. Definitely all, no. not. Like myself and Gavin are both classically trained singers, but we've got expertise in musical theatre, in jazz, in trad, in pop. So we're happy to 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 provide that for you know for each individual. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we put we um we preach a sort of a core message when it comes to singing that uh, obviously it's healthy singing, breath supported, core supported singing that's going to. Um, be relevant to all genres of singing so you know even you think about the great pop singers someone like someone like Freddie Mercury or you know even Elton John or people like that they all had really good singing techniques and they were able to Mm. produce their voices for whatever style of repertoire they were singing but they knew what they were doing when it came to their breath and where they were placing their voices and that's what we're all about Anybody who wants to come in, whatever style of singing they want to come in and sing, we've, we, we're more than happy to facilitate and we're delighted to, to, to work in as many genres as we possibly can. We'll accommodate everybody who comes through the door uh, and uh, it's going to be done in a fun, healthy and, uh, and, and, um, and in a way which will not just bring on people singing, but it'll bring on your self-confidence. It's good for your mental health. It's, um, it's a really fun really proactive really positive um, uh, thing to be doing and um, as I say myself and Nicola are hugely excited about mm. providing this um, in Carlingford and of course you have the blueprint from Kerry because yeah. you saw yeah. what this can do down there and it was most successful so you're yeah. just taking that and supplanting exactly. it in, into North Loud at this stage yeah exactly yeah and when we first started the teaching in Kerry I think we expected a lot of the students you know from so from all ages to sort of be focused mostly on traditional singing and which a lot 
lot of them did. That was their sort of their their first training. But as we moved on, they were interested. You know, some of the teenagers doing their junior certs or the leaving certs, they were interested in doing a little bit of musical theatre or even a little bit of classical music. So you know, they they might have started with trad. You know, but they were able to sort of expand it as well. You know, interests change as well as you're as you're taking lessons. You might, you know, you don't have to box yourself in. And the you know, as well, like you know, I mean, in our early um, years of learning to be musicians and learning to be singers um, we sang all sorts of repertoire I mean like I was in a traditional music group I that's exactly where I started singing it was all traditional songs and uh, I was even in a rock band at one stage go away out of that yeah there you go <laughs> all the skeletons are coming out of the closet now Jerry is that what brought to your clock Nicola was it his rock background yeah 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 <laughs> but it you know and, and, and but you know the you for for any of the let's say you know uh, budding stars out there in County Loud you know the more musical experience that you can have music sorry musical experiences that you can have and the more sort of you can um, you know fill your palette with whatever sort of uh, genres you can get yourself involved in the the better a musician you'll be and the more you'll be able let's say then you begin you, you focus on musical theatre or you focus on classical or you focus on pop you'll be able to draw from a wealth of other experiences and other sort of genres as well which will only make whatever you it is you focus on better and I just see uh, this is important to say beginners advanced and all ages welcome you really want to get that message out there yeah definitely you know there's no age limit on singing you know and some people will come along and they might want to you know start exams or they might want it for their junior their leaving cert or they might want to maybe do the fesh or whatever and some people just want to come along just to improve a little bit or just to you know feel like they're doing the best that they can do so like when we were teaching in Kerry as well the youngest student I had was four who could not yet read but loved to sing and then the oldest was into their 80s and this lady came along because she just she wanted to be able to sing at the at the sessions in the pub and she wanted to be able to sing better so she came along and, and loved it so that's what's lovely if you want to be loved in your local don't rule this out <laughs> it's there for you did you hear it you heard it first today on late lunch on LMFM radio absolutely here's the thing you mentioned four years of age and you have two wee girls yourself what yeah. ages are they Clara is three and Ava is two are they singing they are the singing. three-year-old, yeah, yes. They're singing, yeah. Now it's oh, all Disney-related, but they're singing, you know. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. What do you say to parents listening today and uh, people who have children in their care? What age should you take them along from? You mentioned four there, you know, as an age. Is is that a good age to start? I think that's probably a good age to start, yeah. I think, I think you know, sort of four or five, I think, is probably an ideal age to start. I mean, look, you can you can start at any age, really, but I think in terms of what we're going to be offering, which will primarily be uh, one-on-one sessions, uh, um, that's where the most value will be got from, definitely. Um, but... Uh, but as I say, you know, it's it's across the spectrum, and like everybody, the re- all the research is out there, Jerry, that you know, uh, hammers home this idea that uh, music and in particular singing is hugely beneficial, not just from let's say, a music um, or developing yourself as a singer or as a musician, but from the the health benefits are immense, um, the mental health benefits are immense, and then for let's say students as well, in particular, like. Um, the way in which music and singing can enhance your other cognitive abilities and other subject areas um, is, uh, I mean, there's no question about that that is an absolute fact. So, I mean, uh, it's, 
I, I mean, I, I always call music and in particular singing sort of the superfood of life because it has everything in it to enrich your life and enrich your life experience uh, to to, I suppose, one of the it's one it's one of the best ways to do that um, in 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 life in general. I have to agree wholeheartedly. Uh, my, my my late mother used to say, "Where would we be in life without a song?" And exactly. she loved yeah. her music, you know, to yeah. sing. And you mentioned you just bring me back there. She loved to go out on our Sunday night treat night out with our friends, and they'd be called up to sing yeah. Yeah. in the local. And by God, she had to be called if she yeah. wasn't called to do a party piece. <laughs> it wasn't a good Sunday night. Do you know what I'm getting Absolutely. at, Gavin? But look, seriously, about this. Uh, it, you're starting when? You're starting very shortly. The 7th of October, is it? That's it, yeah. That, and, yeah. and will it run during the week, weekends? What, Nicola? Yeah, we're going to run it during the week. It'll be during the week. So, And we'll um, we'll fit slots in for, you know, we've already got a couple of names signed up, which is brilliant, you know. So there will be sort of limited availability because obviously, yeah, you know. So they actually, yeah, I have to say today, you know, they've, they've started to fly through the door just Great. by pure coincidence, like, like, you know, and it's really encouraging. But as I say, you know, the people that we've been talking to up in um, up in up around the Cooley Peninsula and Carlingford or Meath, Green or uh, all around the place, Jenkinstown, Belorgan, the whole lot, the response has been phenomenally positive. I mm. mean, people really seem to want that mm. that want this to happen and want this to be yeah. a success. You're adding something really yeah. substantial, may I say? Oh, to but it's very humbling, today. I have to yeah. say. And like oh, you know, I have to be, I I have to I have to I have to mention a couple of people. I mean, so like Theresa McEvitt there now, and the whole committee at the Foy Centre in Carlingford have absolutely been fantastic mm. for us. Couldn't be more helpful. And I mean, like the Foy Centre itself is a marvelous building. It's a marvelous um, it's a marvelous setup. It really meets the needs of a community. It does exactly what a community centre should do particularly for a small rural town like Carlingford and I suppose I come from a small rural town myself I come from Carsevine and the two are very very similar so I mean um both of us have developed such a fondness for the area and we're delighted now that we're going to be offering something um, and again I suppose very important to say high level music education is not altogether the most um, it's not the cheapest thing in the world generally mm-hmm. but we are making this as affordable as we possibly can and right. it's, it's, it's literally going to be a flat rate of 15 euro per lesson and by, by national standards that's that's way way down it's but that's giveaway. what we want to give back to the community Ah oh, listen well done to you sit there will you we, I want to take a short break because we have to bring in a few bob now you know these things called that <laughs> of course yeah. <laughs> let's go to another break and uh, Nicola and Gavin more from them in a couple of moments the Cooley Singing Academy is born. I have its director and assistant director with me on late lunch. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> it does, yeah, absolutely. Well, that has listen. a ring to it for the rings. Hasn't <laughs> it? it really has. I like that. But I I'm like very. I, I have to say. I have to say. There couldn't. You couldn't get a better director or head teacher than Nicola. I mean, she's. I mean, I have to say. I've. I've. I've witnessed Nicola teaching over the years. I've. Which. I've witnessed the students that she's teached, and you know, she's or that she's taught. She's one of the best around. The best in the biz, particularly for young kids as well in particular I mean the level not only do they come on as singers but as I say the self-belief the confidence which she instills in students you know will stand to them for their entire lives whether whether or not they become singers or yes. not is another thing I promise now I didn't pay him to say that <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I mean that and I can vouch no money changed hands um, <laughs> here's the thing just as you mentioned that is there a singing voice in everybody? Does everyone have an element of a singing voice? Well, I think they do. You know, I think a lot of people maybe might convince themselves, oh, I can't sing or I'm tone deaf. And, you know, but I think if you like to sing, 
you know, you can always make an improvement, you know, and I think, you know, it is about confidence. It is about self-belief and really it's about enjoying it. Mm. And I think that's the big thing. I think, you know, for sort of maybe younger students or teenagers coming in through the door, that it's not like another lesson in school where they've had a whole day of school and they're sort of, it's something that you come in and that you enjoy. And and if you are, then, you know, you will always make an improvement. Mm. And it's so, about, it's, a, it's, and it's, not, it's not about, let's say, coming in and saying, oh, I want to be Mariah Carey or Beyonce or I want to be Pavarotti or something like that and you may very well be there's no there's no reason why you can't be but um at the most fundamental thing about singing lessons and learning how to sing and learning any musical instrument is that you are doing it for yourself you're doing it for your own life enrichment you're doing it for something to develop yourself in a way which is unique which is fun which isn't sort of necessarily every day and something that you know at the most basic level is going to enhance your life experience to a huge degree and make you, you know, and 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 make and make, and make, make your world a better place to live in. That's a fact. Mm. I, I was uh, rem- reminding myself, we, we've talked before and about you two getting together and I was smiling when I, when I read the story of how you got together again because it, it reminded me <laughs> of what we talked about before. You first came into contact, was it Ratmines Ratgar Musical yeah. Society, yes? Yeah. And he was, talk about being a rock star, no. <laughs> He was a retiring Lily, if I can say. <laughs> <laughs> he had to get a friend of his to approach you. That's Isn't that right? That's Wasn't true. It? Yeah. Jerry, yeah. I thought she was way out of my league. <laughs> no, that's a fact. I, 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 I didn't think she'd be interested in the slightest. <laughs> As Dean Power actually, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a, te- he's a, te- he's a, he's he's employed actually in the ensemble uh, in Munich where uh, Tara Roth was actually. Yes, but he was there and uh, he, had, he, I remember he had to sit me down. He said, he said, Gavin, you've sit down for this news. And I was like, what's he going to tell me? Nicola fancies you. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe it. But sure, look, as I say, the rest is history. The and actually, yesterday we se- we celebrated six years married together. Oh, and ele- eleven in total to so, both uh, of you. Yeah. Well, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She deserves a medal. Oh. Or, 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 or canonisation <laughs> at the very least. Hey, did you know Loud won in All-Ireland this year? I saw that. I saw that. Fantastic Sorry, stuff. Gavin. I don't mean to, mean to bring <laughs> this up to a in. Kerry, man. Yeah. It's all right. Oh, I was we'll the, be back. I was we'll at, be back. I was at the first game. You should have done it the first day. Ah, sure, look. This is... This, we the, went to the second We went to the replay, replay together. Yeah. Ah, look, but, ah, look, Dublin were immense. I mean, mm. like, I, I, I mean, as a sort of, as a fan of football, to have seen them in action and to have witnessed the history that they made was something in itself but that Kerry team is coming let me tell you and we'll be there to wipe the smile <gasps> off those Dublin faces yeah. next year or the year after I'd say Fighting talk. <laughs> the is fired down now for the Dubs for sure look we're going to finish up in a moment but before we do I do want to mention something very special and we're going to hear what it's all about because December will be here shortly as you know sure it's ripping along to the end of uh, 2019 7th of December the glide in the Peria, yeah. baritone and soprano in harmony. Oh, Jerry, I've got news for you. I'm oh, not a baritone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, tell me. I'm a tenor now. Oh, my yeah. God. I so mo- I've literally moved up in moved- the world, yeah. And how did that happen? Well, um, physiologically things changed about maybe two years ago or so. And I suppose I was kind of keeping it secret and working in secret with my teacher and things like that. But I finished up being a baritone in May and uh, I'm actually at the moment I'm preparing to make my Wexford Festival opera oh, tenor debut so it's fantastic. all it's, it's all it's, it's all, all, it's all, it's all kicking off so we're the we're, we're, we're the proper operatic power couple yeah, now we're tenor duets. and soprano better yeah, duets yeah. <laughs> they've arrived <laughs> yeah. my 
absolutely. Apolog- my no, apologies. No. Not at all. I've been called worse, Terry. Let me tell you. <laughs> I just want to mention something else before we finish. I know you're great supporters and fans. The Drogheda Classical first concert tomorrow night in St. Peter's Church of Ireland. You can walk up, rock in there. Great night in store and check that out as well. But we leave today with the new tenor <laughs> and his lovely wife, the always soprano. Absolutely. Yes. Introduce the song, Nicola, for me, please. What are we going to hear here? So this is um, the Merry Widow Waltz. And the Cooley Singing Academy, 085-713-0045. You can email cooleysingingacademy at gmail.com or find them on Twitter at Academy Cooley. And we have all those details if you want them off our usual numbers. Good luck to you. Thank and you for joining me Can I, can I just say, Jerry? thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. You've really, really made our day. Thank always, you. always. Here we go.
Joe Dolan, Mullingar was the answer we were looking for in the competition. Yes, show tours have that wonderful weekend, Oktoberfest in Tralee, this October bank holiday, and somebody on late lunch tomorrow will win three nights bed and breakfast at the world-renowned Brandon Hotel, three four-course dinners and all the cabaret and dancing you can fit in. Check out the details if you'd like to book showtours.ie or you can call them 01-253-0563. Mullingar, Joe Dolan... Terry Morgan, you're in the hat tomorrow. That's Una Burns, Porrick Hall, Ursula Martin and Terry Morgan from Dundalk in the hat tomorrow. One more uh, finalist tomorrow and then we'll draw from the five for the winner for two people to go to Tralee October Bank Holiday. Now, just reminding you, LMFM are out and about tomorrow at Boy Credit Union. They're celebrating their 50th birthday and we'll be there from 11 o'clock. And then from 2, Paddish Ognacy will pay a visit to our old friends at Ford Superstore between Dunshockland and Kilcock where we'll hear all about their eco-information event that's taking place Friday and Saturday. And one more thing, looking ahead to next week, that's Tuesday, Kaloshton and me in Johnstown, Navin are holding their annual open night for parents and prospective students. That's Tuesday, October October 1st, 5.30 to 8.30 there at the college in uh, Johnstown. Team Carry, yes, it's their final year, year 10. It's the 40th Dublin City Marathon. Team Carry have 140 runners going to the marathon this year. We follow them every year and we're featuring three more runners, as you know, again this year. Last evening they were training. I popped along. Stay with us and hear what happened next. 31 days to the Dublin City Marathon and the evenings are certainly closing in but there's enough light that they'll get out on the roads and go through the routine this evening. Yes, we're back in Dunlear with Team Carry and our featured runners this year. David, uh, big uh, milestone last weekend, half marathon under everybody's belt. Yeah, uh, we're on week 16 of the training plan and uh, we've hit all the milestones so far. We've hit the 10k marker in July, 10 mile marker in August and uh, just a weekend gone on Saturday with the Dublin Half Marathon. We've a bit of a mixed bag, Jerry, as you're going to find out now in the next few minutes. So it's been, it's been up and down for everyone for the last few weeks as well. So we still have three big long runs left. We're getting into the heavy mileage end of the training. We've got 18 miles this week and then we have two 20s. 20 mile runs and then we'll be tapering down before the big day so it's a matter of just keeping everyone focused motivated and keeping everyone together myself personally I've, I've been out injured for the last six or seven weeks I was so determined to do the half marathon because it was marking my 20 years since I actually won the event in 1999 so it was important to me and I did and I'm up and running again and I'm over my Achilles injury it's an old injury that keeps flaring up it's always going to be when you're training for a marathon at the start of the year I always say to everyone we've 20 weeks training ahead of us but in that 20 weeks it's unlikely that you're going to get 20 weeks unbroken you're going to hit a bump in the road and it's going to be a roller coaster you're going to get sick you may get injured you know you don't know what you have to be prepared for everything so at at this stage you know we're leaning towards the support of everyone else to pick you up when you're down and uh, that certainly has been transparent now in the last few weeks. So Let's talk to the crew that we're featuring this year. I want to start with Rachel Kelly this time because I was out walking my dog last week and I see this apparition coming to me and I said, is that Rachel? And of course it was, but you weren't running. You were telling me you were, you were struggling a little, weren't you? I was struggling, yes. That was the end of the six mile. And when you came along, I was ready to do my strides. The David Carey is always saying you have to do the strides. And I stopped. And of course, I had to stop to talk to you, didn't I, Jerry? <laughs> I couldn't just pass you by. So he completely stopped in my track. 
because then but I picked up and kind of finished off the run that was at the end of the six miles so it was a bit tired then mm. it was a warm evening as mm. well heavy and humid those hot evenings can make the small runs a bit difficult the yes. longer ones sometimes are easier it's kind of strange but I think we're all feeling a bit tired as well because we're on week 18 of the programme for sure, you just have to keep plotting along and just keep it mindful to keep ourselves healthy and well for the big day at this stage now, yeah. Did you do the half at the weekend? I did indeed, Jerry. I did the half on Saturday. It was a very nice morning to start off with, but it did get very hot and very warm and humid. And I had forgotten how hilly the Phoenix Park is. <laughs> I had genuinely forgotten. This is my third time doing the half and I still have forgotten the hills, especially mine 11. I said to myself, oh, will this ever end? But when I got to the cross line, I always feel that sense of achievement and it's just, oh, this is fantastic. And I was delighted with my time and I loved the bling, which is very important to me, Jerry, and the T-shirt. And it was a lovely day out. We all had a great time with the bus, going up and coming back, as always. So that's the best part of Team Carry. <laughs> you know? It's the real fun. I can vouch for that myself. So all going well, no niggles, no injuries, just over four weeks to go? That's it, yeah, Jerry. I had a bit of a pain in my calf. And I went for the roller treatment and um, I took a couple of days off. But I'm back now and the half hour has improved that. So now I'm just minding myself now and just taking it easy for the next few weeks. And hopefully I'll be ready to go on the big day then at this stage. I'm not taking any chances now anymore. Now I'll just take it easy now. Yeah. Great. Steady as she goes at Rachel Kelly. That's it. That's it. We all, we all could do our best now at this stage. And everyone's feeling it. And if mm. anyone's sick of injuries, we're all supporting each other and trying to get them all upbeat and ready encourage them on and say that at the end there are always more ones to come and we're all a big family now and supporting each other yeah great as always Ian Pat Carroll good to catch up with you too you're not in any running attire this evening back to the weekend again half marathon under the belt done and dusted yeah I was very happy with it this year 14 minutes faster than last year as nothing knee last year but I was very very happy because I stayed with one of the guys for the first couple of miles because he was struggling and I just said I stayed with him for a while and at about four and a half, five mile, he says, I'll go ahead. So I went ahead, and I have to say, I was very, very happy. I actually felt quite strong. I don't forget the hills in the Phoenix Park. They're engraved on me at this stage after 10 years. But uh, it doesn't make them any easier. I wish they would get a bit smaller, but sure, that's the way it is, you know. I just enjoy it, you know. And, you know, as I, you know, we all do the running, but to me, it's not just the running, it's the whole family. We're all one big happy family. Not one competing against one another, but we are really a happy family. And, of course, you have to detain the coffee on the training nights as well, you know. And so far, training's going reasonably well for me. And, unfortunately, work, I do quite a lot of travelling. But the first thing in the suitcase now is the runners. And whatever hotel I'm checking checking into, first thing is, where's the gym? And if there's no gym, I have to check the roads around the hotel. You know, I've been running around Lisbon. I've been in uh, Bordeaux and Marseille on the roads. You just have to get the mileage in. Evening I mentioned at the start there, you know, they're closing in at this stage. And I said to you, where has the year gone since I arrived here first with Team Carry 2019? But you retorted to me, hey, Jerry, where's the nine years gone? Yeah. Well, and you've been here every one of them. I've been here every one of them, thank God, you know. And they can have they gone, you know. And as I say, we start in May and then here we are coming up to October and the final hurrahs, I say, you know, so... I think I'll have to go into therapy after all this. <laughs> Indeed, you won't. There'll be something else. Don't worry, well, there always is. I'll find something. <laughs> you will, of course, Pat. So, all good with you. Ready now to take on this challenge again this year? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a challenge every year, but uh, for some reason, I just feel in good shape this year. So, hopefully, on the day, I have a target in mind. And so far, I'm, I'm sure when I go in and see what David's figure for me for this year, it'll be in around the ballpark figure I'm thinking of. And hopefully, yeah, uh, it'll come to fruition on, on the day.
Ian Pat Carroll, thanks so much. Big job to be done here tonight with the teas and coffees as usual and we'll uh, touch base with you before the marathon itself. It won't be long now. Sarah McCann, the newbie of our featured crew this year, is here stretching and moving and dying to have a chat with me. Well, how are you? Uh, I think I'm going to be the downer this week, Jerry. Oh, to no. Be no, I did, I had my toughest two weeks of, of my whole marathon journey, I suppose. It's the best way to say it. So I got a really bad, I'm not going to say a cold. It was way worse than a cold. Mm. So I was off work and everything. It was one of those things where, you know, you walk five metres and you're exhausted. So I won't say it was the flu, but it was a very, very bad virus. Um, and that knocked me out, I have to say. So I was very weak and I wasn't running for a good week. Um, I think, yeah, it was two weeks ago I got it and then I didn't run for a week. And then when I came back a week later... Of course, Dave is like, take it easy, take it easy. But you're out in the roads and you're just having the chats. It's not that you're not trying to take it easy, but you're just mm. chatting with people. And I suppose I went off at a pace that I had been used to going off at prior to kind of being sick. And you have to come back a bit easier after being sick. And then about we were doing a six mile, about four mile in, I said, what's wrong with my knee? That's feeling a bit funny. And I just kept going, giving a bit of a wiggle. And David came up behind me, Sarah, why are you stopping? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, there's just something funny with my knee. It was a feeling I'd never felt before kind of thing. Um, and you finished the six miles, thought I was, I suppose, okay. And that, you know, there was no pain or whatever afterwards. And did a very light kind of two miles here in the sun on Thursday evening thinking, right, I'm ready for the half. I'll go easy, but I'm ready for it. I'm okay for it. Four miles into the half marathon, I felt like somebody was stabbing me in my left knee with a knife. So I did nine miles with that feeling. So I had to unfortunately kind of stop a couple of times, walk, stretch it out, go again, stop, walk, stretch it out, which I've never done in any of my running ever. Like I've done a couple of half marathons. That's the the longest race I've ever done. And it's the first time ever I've had to stop and walk just because I just felt like the knee was going to give out on me otherwise so it's been a funny one it's been a tough couple of weeks to be honest you're yeah. in the wars give me a hug give me a hug give me a hug oh, oh Sarah McGann oh my god almighty you got round the half I did and listen it's not that you know if I you know it's not I did an absolutely awful mm. time but I didn't do the time I wanted because I couldn't mm. and it wasn't I suppose the you know the coming back from sickness it was more just the kind of the, the, I suppose the pain nobody wants to run with pain so what is it? what I think it is I think it's a bit of the old IT band has got tight and it was pulling up on the kind of tendons around the knee or whatever so I've been treating it all week and doing some exercises icing it resting it I haven't run since the half on Saturday so I'll get out for a light one tonight make sure I've warmed up really well fingers crossed it'll be okay but I suppose it's just I keep having to remind myself I've gone from two days a week of running and I never really ran on the roads. I ran either on soft ground or up at Old Bridge or whatever. So I've gone from two days a week running on kind of soft ground to kind of almost five days a week running on hard ground. So the body, of course, is going to have a couple of issues, you know. But fingers crossed, <laughs> it's not going to be She's crossing everything here one. as we speak. But look, you have four weeks still and with David's guidance and his advice and, you know, listening to your body, I'm sure you'll be on that bus for marathon morning. Oh no, there's no absolutely no question <laughs> that I'll be on the bus. I suppose I've just started to realistically think about, you know, maybe four or five weeks ago I started thinking, oh, okay, because training was going so well. Then you start thinking of times in your head. And this has just given me the last two weeks has given me a total reality check. 
Sarah, it is your first marathon. Do not even be thinking about that. You need to keep yourself fit, you need to keep yourself healthy, and you need to get around the course without pain. So that is now my, you know, my goal. Your goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, go and achieve it. I've held you up here long enough. You're stretching and moving and twitching <laughs> and twisting there, and I know you want to get going. Yeah. But look, this is part of marathon life. I've seen it over yeah. the years. Good luck to you over the next few weeks. We'll see you before the marathon. And I'm crossing everything for you as well. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> Thanks, Cheers, Sarah thank McCann. David, final word to yourself. You're standing there listening carefully to what Sarah has had to say there. But that is not unusual. No, that's not unusual. And uh, you will experience injuries and niggles uh, t- uh, during the course of the training, 20-week plan. And that's why it is a 20-week plan, because it'll take that time to get prepared, get the miles in. These guys will co- cover any, anywhere between 700 and 1,000 miles in 20 weeks so we've about 150 miles still to go over the next three or four weeks so we're almost there this this is we're at the top of the graph now we're peaking now before we taper down for the marathon but we have the miles banked and it's a matter of just keeping keeping them all motivated and keeping them together and the support we get from everyone is fantastic and uh, it's always a mixed bag and it's a mixed bag Mm. again this year but we're, we're on track. I, I, I know we're going to do really well. We have 140 doing the marathon this year. But it's the 40th Dublin Marathon. Sean McGoldrick is bringing out a book next month to, to celebrate the 40th year of the, of the Dublin Marathon. 40th Marathon, 140, Year 10 team, carry, and we're on track. You've heard the stories of our three featured runners this evening. There are many more besides. Thanks, Sherry, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, we will indeed be back uh, next month to Team Carry and then the finale. The marathon, incidentally, the 27th. Sunday, the 27th of October is the 40th Dublin City Marathon and the curtain comes down that day for Team Carry after 10 magnificent years. That to look forward to. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this Thursday afternoon. Have a lovely evening and do come back and join us tomorrow for Late Lunch. Women with Opinions 2 to 3. Plenty to chat about on the show tomorrow afternoon. Until then, take care. See you Friday. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Jordan and Dundalk. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.